uh, to be back here um, with with people here. But of course, we're excited uh, that you have joined with us online. Um, we have been going through the miracles of Jesus, and um, I want to start by just reading the passage that we're gonna we're gonna learn from. Um, this is John chapter five, and uh, this is uh, verses one through uh, fifteen. Um, so if you have your Bibles at home, go ahead and read along. We have the, the words on the screen. Um, sometime later, Jesus went up from Jerusalem, went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Beth, Bethesda, yeah. I think that's right. And which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Uh, While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The one who made me well said to me pick up your mat and walk so they asked him who was this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk the man who was healed had no idea who it was for jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there later jesus found him at the temple and said to him see you are well again stop sinning or something worse may happen to you the man went away and told the Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had made him well. You know, um, most of this passage, the context of this passage, as we've just read, is, uh, is around uh, Sabbath. And um, the idea of Sabbath is rest. And as it says in, in this, is, this is from Psalm 3, uh, where, where the psalmist David writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver them. And here's what he says. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. So all I want to use for my three points are three questions. And my first question to you this morning when we talk about Sabbath, and ultimately what we're talking is, is, is about rest. Uh, here's my question to you. Do you sleep well? Do you? Do you sleep well? I want you to think about this. Two months ago, or three months ago roughly, Breonna Taylor was killed, an African-American woman in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, by police in her own house. We know last month 
Ahmaud Arbery was killed. I just watched the documentary on Jeffrey Epstein, where if it was 50 or if it was 100 or if it was 200 girls were what? Were abused. They and their innocence was abused. And what they did for money, what someone with power took from them, took their innocence and their vulnerability away from them, knowing that they needed money. I mean, this was four hours of watching what evil does in someone, in some guy's heart. And then for eight minutes and 46 seconds, what? A knee was on the neck of George Floyd. When I was, my earliest memory uh, of being in church is uh, at University Baptist Church. And I was three or four years old, and I can still remember playing with my two buddies, Adam Ballack and Jason Suldonik. And we go off to the kind of the left side of, of the churchyard. And if you look from that churchyard, you can see University Square Mall, where last night we know what happened. The riots happened. That's where I uh, learned about the Lord initially. My grandmother taught me in sunbeams when I was three, four, and five years old. And that's where the riots were last night. I don't think a lot of people got rest last night. And Jesus wants to talk to you and to me about what does it mean, right? What does it mean in light of a coronavirus, a pandemic? I mean, we're, we're tiptoeing our way back into church here this morning. And civil unrest. And I don't think Jesus is talking necessarily about the length of sleep you get, but he wants you to get a deep sleep. He wants you to experience REM sleep, the type of sleep that we all long for. Because we worked hard, and we played hard, and we loved hard. You know, we put our head on the pillow at night, and we sleep like we're made to sleep. Because what it does, that rest and that slumber, it, what does it do? It, it reinvigorates us. And this whole passage um, is around, ultimately, is going to be around rest, because we know that Jesus, what Jesus was wanting, uh, the, the Pharisees were wanting to catch him in sin. And um, what they don't realize is that Jesus is ultimately saying to these men, he's saying to this, to this, uh, this hurting man, is that, you know what? My work, <laughs> right? My work, what does it do? It creates Sabbath. And I know man's work breaks Sabbath, but my work, it creates rest. My healing is what actually you need. And so what Jesus, I think more than a, a, a physical sleep, he is calling us to, he wants what? He wants our souls, what? To rest. And that's my question, really, is when you sleep, my, my, my question is, does your soul experience Shalom. Does it, does it experience um, healing like this man experienced? Because that's what he wants. However, I, th I think most of us feel, I know I do, this restlessness. 
And what you learn as you read the word and as you experience life is that uh, our restlessness is rooted in what? In, in our condition of being under the law. We are under the curse of the law. Um, you know, even when they were trying to catch this man in, um, in some type of sin, um, if you were to wear the mat it was okay. In other words, if he wore this mat that he was lying on as, as some type of garment, it would have been okay, but you couldn't carry anything, right? In the Jewish law, you couldn't walk more than 100 yards or you would break Sabbath laws. And what we realize is that the, the, the Pharisees began to use this against uh, those who were trying to honor the Lord. And they would parse out these regulations. Ultimately, all these regulations were really supposed to do what? They were supposed to serve you being able to rest. However, here's what the verbiage became. Here's what the language became when it came to Sunday, or Saturdays at the, in this time, was people would say, I keep the Sabbath. Their whole relative understanding of the Sabbath was keeping the Sabbath laws, not doing what? Not, they wouldn't say, I live the Sabbath. Because that's what Jesus is offering you. He's offering you rest on Sundays. A, 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 a special kind of Sabbath rest. Like, I got to live Sabbath, not I keep Sabbath. Because if you were to distill all of the laws down, of the Ten Commandments into the two, what do we know? It's love God with all that you have, with everything. And what's the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself. As one theologian asked, he said, you know what will really tell you what's in the way of your walk with Christ? When nothing is demanded of you, let's say it's a, it's a Saturday, and nothing is demanded of you, what do you do? When you have no obligations no time commitments, right? No, no obligations in your marriage or in your family or in your work or with your friends, and you just have you. Here is the question. What do you do? Where do you go to rest? Because ultimately, we're called to go and rest in Him. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is the point. Look at our world right now. Look at our world. It is all in this, in this upheaval. And, and what people tend to do is they try to say, you know what, here's what I do with um, God's law. Here, here's what I do. Here's how I fulfill God's law. But here's what we know about the law. When you really look at all of the commandments in, in, in the scriptures, the law is a mirror but it's a true mirror. <laughs> I mean, growing up, I went to the Florida State Fair, and I went to the fairgrounds, and I would always go into the fun house of mirrors, right? And being short, I loved the, those mirrors that made you look really tall. And being a little chunky, I loved those mirrors that made me look a little skinny. Whatever, whatever you wanted to look like, you could based upon the mirror that you, look, that you looked at. So if you wanted to be a little taller, a little shorter, a little wider, a little skinnier, you could find the mirror. But here's the thing about, about um, the law. It, it is a true mirror. 
and it'll show you what you are. And when you try to fulfill the law, you know what you are? As I learned, as I've been watching a lot of documentaries, you are Lance Armstrong without the blood doping, right? And you're in last place, and you're looking at those Alps thinking, how in the world? That's what you are when you try to fulfill the law and base things on your performance. That's who you are. You cannot do it. And you have to fake your way in order to, quote, make it. And so what we know that the Lord gives us is he gives us our conscience. But somebody, what some may call Jiminy Cricket, he gives us, it's written, God's law, it says, it's written in all of us, it's written in our hearts. And so we know, ultimately we know, that we don't measure up. It's, it's what we feel inside. It's what psychologists like the famous Carl Jung calls the, the collective unconscious. And some of us may say, you know what, um, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, look at the way I was raised. Look at my parents. Or, um, you know what, look who I hang around, right? I, I need to, you know, I am, I'm, I'm blaming my, my peers because I'm trying to get it right. Or some of us, we do. We blame religion. We blame the church. And then some of us say, okay, don't even look at those things. Go to counseling. And some of us go to counseling. And you know what we realize? That the counselor, if they don't know the Lord, they say, you know what? You have been in, you, you've been um, imprisoned by your parents' expectations, by your peers' expectations, or by religion's expectations. You know whose expectations you should live by? Yours. And so what do we do? Well, the counseling, the secular counseling world says, set your own goals, have your own standards. But here's what we know. That regardless, all of us are designed by God. And the law is written on our own hearts. And we will still not measure up even to our own standards. We will still fail. And so the world says, okay, if you can't do it by yourself, right, what do you do? Well, you go to a self-help clinic. You go read a Tony Robbins book, right? You, you go to the, the section that we used to be in Barnes & Noble's, uh, we went to Books a Million. That's where we, we live right by next door to one in, in, uh, in Orlando. Uh, and went to Joe Mugg's Coffee in Books a Million, if that rings any bell. Um, but, and you'd go to that self-help section, and they would give you some great strategies on how to you know, deal with different issues. But ultimately, when you look at all of the law, you know what? You can never measure up. And here's what we learn, that we will never be acceptable by what? By fulfilling the law. It's like God gave us this, these beautiful set of architectural design uh, drawings. He said, this is what you were designed to do, now do it. And here's what the, the word shows us. We are incapable of doing that. And here's a guy who's incapable, incapable of what? Of healing himself. In fact, think about Jesus' interaction with this lame man. I mean, what, what does the lame man trust? He trusts superstition. What do we know about this pool? This pool, there's either an angel or some type of, of spiritual disruption that would happen. And if you got into the water when it was disrupted, you know what? You would be healed. But he 
obviously was crippled and he, can, he wasn't fast enough to get into the water. And it shows us what man trusts, what you and I can trust, these false gods that we go to all the time, right? And, 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 and we, we believe that this makes us right. But he, here's what Jesus comes to you and to me, and here's what he does. He rouses you and shakes you. I mean, what, what does he ask this guy? Hey, man, do you really want to be healed? That's what he asked him. Do you want to get well? We don't know what's behind that, and we only can speculate some, but my thought is, my goodness, when you read and you hear the tone in Jesus' voice, I wonder if he's asking the question to you and to me and to this man, maybe you've lost hope. I mean, you're 38 years old and you've never been able to walk. Maybe there was a certain threshold that you hit and you said, you know what? Um, I'm incapable of being different. I'm incapable of seeing another perspective. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, this, this, this older, I'm, I'm this uh, elderly. And Jesus comes and he, what he does is he says, no, 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 no. I can tell you've lost hope that's why I'm asking this question. I want to know, do you really want to get better? And I think he's asking you that this morning. Maybe he's asking me that this morning in light of all of this. When you understand what Jesus does, when you understand how uh, ultimately you don't have any power, we can appreciate and love Jesus because what we see here is, I mean, what's, what's the man's um, response? Sir, I have no one to help me get into the pool. When I'm trying to get in, someone gets in before me. What is he saying at that moment? He is admitting here, I am helpless. And what does Jesus do right after that? He says, get up. The moment this dude, this guy says, I am helpless, I don't know what to do. I can't see myself for what I am. He is healed. Jesus works. Here's what he loves when you admit that. And that's my question. That's the second question. Not only do you, how do you sleep, but maybe if you would admit your helplessness, if you would admit how uh, deep in sin we are, if we, and, and let's, let's entertain this, maybe we haven't before, seeing all these riots, seeing all this, 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 uh, this upheaval, I'm asking my, my, myself the question, maybe I'm not seeing what I can't see. Maybe I have a blind spot, and I have been given things that I didn't even know I've been given. Here's what we know, the scripture says, uh, you have indwelling sin even after you're saved. Paul says, I am the chief of all sinners. That, that means you have mental, the mental effects of sin are still on you. And they're still on me. And so we can't think fully well. And Jesus progressively over time heals us and shows us things that we couldn't see before. That, you know, we were blind to this. And I want to, we have to be open to saying, okay, you know what? Systemically, however we look at it, maybe we can't see what we can't see. 
Are you even willing to say, am I even willing to say, you know what? I, I am helpless without Jesus. Maybe this is him moving in our world in a new way. Maybe he allowed the pandemic to happen and these riots to happen to say, you know what? You're more helpless than you even thought. You, you've been raised, Frank, in this privilege. You've been raised in this very, very wealthy world. And you can't see what you can't see. Am I even open to that? I, don't, I'm, I know that this can become political, and I don't want that at all. I just want us to be able to ask the questions personally, individually, corporately. Can we admit that we are helpless? I think uh, Jesus is saying to you and to me, please do that. I love it when my kids say, I need your help, Jesus. I can't cure myself. That's what he's saying, I believe. Are you okay with that? That's what Jesus, I believe, is calling us to. Because look what happens. He not only says, will you admit that you're helpless, and in that point, healing comes. But what is that? That's just healing for his sickness. What's the next step for Jesus in this man? It says the man who was healed, he had no idea who Jesus was. No clue, right? And then Jesus slips away, but then Jesus comes back and he says, I see your well again. I, I see. So please stop sinning or something worse may happen. Not only do I want, Jesus is saying, not only do I want you physically to be well, right? I want you to be able to walk. But Jesus is saying, that is not your number one problem. Frank, your number one problem isn't physical or even emotional sickness. What our number one problem is what? It's a lack of peace. I want you to what? Not only just be physically well, but I want you, or emotionally, I want you to be spiritually at peace. And here's what we know. That the only way that we can be spiritually at peace is to wake up to who we are and to trust what? That it's Christ who has been, um, who is our only hope. And in order to have hope in Christ, we need to deal with our sin and to wake up to that. Because if we decide that um, our life is the, you know, the, the aggregate uh, sum total of all our performance, we will the end times, the last day, the pearly gates, whatever you want to call it, we will never, ever measure up. It only comes from Jesus. And you can't get rest from your sin until you wake up to see what your real sins are. But here's, what the, here's the beauty of God's grace. Essentially, he's saying, you know what, will you wake up and realize? I mean, it's what Steve Brown, my professor would say, or Jack Miller who I think he learned from. He would say, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. Right? That's the freedom of the gospel. Cheer up. You're a lot worse than you could possibly imagine. And because your salvation does not rest upon your performance, here's what we can do. We can look at our lives. We can look at our lives on, the, on May 31st and say, you know what? As a white man, maybe I don't see what I don't see. 
I'm free to look at my life. Because you know what? I am not condemned by my Lord. I am free. I am free to look at my sin. My sin still doesn't condemn me. But Jesus says, look, if you're free and reconciliation within racial you know, tension would bring healing to this world, why would you not look at it? You're free to do that. There is no condemnation. Because just as much as you're more sinful than you ever thought you could possibly be, the other side of the gospel says this, you are more loved and more cherished than, you can, than you've ever imagined. <coughs> That's how much Jesus loves you. And you know what? If we understand that, you go back to the, the psalm that talks about sleep, where he says, oh Lord, how many are my foes? You know what we can do? We can say, okay, here are my foes. Here's the situation. You know what he offers you on May 31st at night when you go to bed? Sleep. If you will understand that your salvation is not based upon your performance and you're free to look at yourself, you know what you can do is you can sleep. Don't tell me you don't need better sleep. Don't tell me you don't need longer or deeper sleep. I do. Let me tell you. Shoot. I couldn't sleep last night. I need to hear the gospel and let it uh, work in me. I need to ask myself the question, why are you so weary? It's not based upon my performance. Let's go to this last question. And so ultimately, will you accept Jesus' performance who said to us, there is no more slave nor free. There is no more uh, Jew or Gentile. There is no more male or female. Only thing that matters is that I made you and I saved you and it's my record that counts. And so your performance doesn't. You can sleep. We need it. This is what is the gift of the gospel. He says, please take my yoke upon you. My burden is the only one that will not crush you. It won't. You can put it on the yoke, like a yoke you put on the oxen. And Jesus says, it's my yoke that won't crush you. And you can live, and you can sleep. Where are you this morning, Westtown? Where are we? We're free to look at a huge range of sins that could possibly be there. Because we are not condemned, but we are free to work on them. We are free, we are free to be a work in progress. Are you free? That's the question. Because if you're free, you know what? Sabbath rest comes to you. And Jesus says, I worked so you could rest. You don't work so you can rest. I work so you can rest, so you can sleep. I've taken your burdens. Please allow him to do that, particularly in light of what we are dealing with uh, at this point, uh, this time.